0: We are talking to the City of Calgary right now. We're just getting ready for our pre-application meeting, and we are going to rezone this assembly of lots to increase the density, which would allow for a 24-story apartment building. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills, or a newbie looking to become one?
1: You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host Sarah Larby.
2: Hey, welcome back. It's Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest. Today's guest is Ali Nazarian, founder of EcoLux Developments, and he shares how he went from an engineer with a fascination all around construction and home building to becoming a real estate developer. This is a great conversation. If you are interested in the strategy, it can be very lucrative as well. Talk about how to implement and acquire your first development projects, different steps to take in terms of due diligence and other costs to consider and everything in between. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Before we do so though, let's hear from Dahlia from Streetwise Mortgages on this week's tip. Dahlia, over to you.
1: Hey, Canada, I'm so excited to share some great news with you today. Streetwise Mortgages has expanded its reach to service investors across multiple provinces. This includes Alberta, British Columbia, New Brunswick, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Investors in these provinces can now tap into our exclusive financing roadmap methodology. This is the methodology that helped thousands of investors scale up their portfolios beyond what they had initially envisioned. It is a custom financing roadmap that will give you crystal clear clarity on financing to grow and scale and optimize your portfolio. There are eight building blocks that we go through for every investor, including Assessing where you are currently, getting clear on your real estate investment goals and what you're looking to achieve, because financing has to enable the achievement of your goals. Then talking about how are we going to align capital sources and where is the money going to come from? What makes sense to use first in terms of money tool and when? you got several money tools available to you as an investor, including equity, private money, joint venture partnerships, commercial financing, a or bank financing and alternative financing, even RSP financing. So what do you use and when is going to play a huge role into the success of your portfolio and building a strong foundation. Number four is maximizing your borrowing power as you scale up. You want the lenders to continue to say yes and you want to get access to the best cost of money. And if you don't go strategically about that, you will hit something called the financing wall. So in the Customized Financing Roadmap Kit, this is a huge building block that we focus on to ensure that you're going to continue to grow. Number five is how to structure your deals, who's going to be on title, do you go and put a deal in a personal name or a corporate name? If you have joint ventures, how are you going to structure these deals to ensure that you continue to grow uh, with them? We also answer any questions that you have, and we help you avoid the costly financing and money mistakes investors make, sometimes not even consciously or unintentionally. Uh, we want to make sure that you are aware of what those is as you move forward. And finally, we put this plan into action for you. So if your objective is to acquire 10 properties next year, let's map out map financing. And once you hit that goal, then we revisit the financing roadmap, update it to help you take it to the next level. So if you're an investor who's looking to scale up your portfolio, or you're an investor with an existing portfolio who's looking to optimize it, or if you're looking for guidance in this environment that we're in, feel free to reach out to myself and my team for a complimentary planning session at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Myself and my team are so excited to support you on your investment journey and to guide you through the times ahead. And we are thrilled to be part of your success.
2: Awesome guys, Streetwise Mortgages, reach out to them. They helped me leave my nine to five. So if you're still working, work with a good mortgage broker, get them to understand your goals and execute on your conversation and your strategy that you've implemented. So on that note, we are launching a midterm rental course. It is going to be five weeks and I've added a bonus week just because some of you guys asked for cottages and how to rent and acquire and manage cottages. But aside from that, it is going to be about the midterm rental strategy. One of my favorite ones, because ultimately we are getting squeezed from both sides, right? The LTB and the RTA, not in a fa- our favor. And there's a lot of bylaws coming in different municipalities around short-term rentals, less than 28 days. So there's that Nice, great spot in between that you can still make some cash flow, have a lot more control over your properties, over your guests, over your tenants, and still do really well. So that course is starting the first week of November. It is going to be every Thursday, four or five weeks, and it starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 9.30. So if you are interested, that information is on my website. Uh, you can register. All the courses and the classes will be recorded. Everyone will have access to all the documents that I use as well to run the strategy the way that I run it and we are raising the pricing as well once it is completed. So if you wanted to come in on Zoom live, there definitely is going to be some room for Q&A and questions and support along the way. So that is on sarahlarby.com. On that note, we'll bring in Ali Nazarian for the podcast episode. Enjoy. Ali, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'm great. How are you?
2: Good, good. So we met before the summer, I think it was at the multifamily events, yes. right? That Seth was yeah. having. And we started talking. And I'm like, I want you to have you on my yeah. podcast. You're doing lots of great things, but Thank I take you. the summer off. So let's do it in the fall. And so now I'm back into the podcasting mode. Actually, this is the first day I'm back into when I'm doing four back to back and you are one of oh the first four back. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Well, that's, yeah, I'm honored to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a few months back I met and yeah, you, you were off for the summer and yes, yeah, I think everybody's getting, getting back into the swing of things. So that's awesome. For
2: sure. For sure. So I wanted to have you on. You have an interesting story and you're doing some really cool stuff with the development strategy. And so why don't you just give us a brief overview of like you, you as an investor and, and who you are? Sure.
0: So um, I'm, I'm an engineer by trade, so I was always, you know, fascinated by construction and home building and whatnot. Actually, since I was very young, I was always fascinated that somebody, you know, there's a piece of dirt and then somebody's using their imagination and taking a piece of material and building something out of it and that becomes a home for people. And as uh, as strange as it may sound, but that was fascinating for me. And so I always had a keen interest in development and home building, but I kind of helped my family with that. They they had some rentals and some investments. So I kind of grew up around real estate, but not to a scale that I'm doing it now or some other people like doing it as, you know, as a business and whatnot. So in 2016, I bought my first investment. It was a condo in, in Richmond Hill, actually, where I live now. And I was like, well, I don't want to lose money every month, so I started renting it out on month-to-month basis and furnished basis, and then family and sometimes myself are using it whenever we need it, and realized that oh, this is great, like breaking even or in, you know, at the peak market in the summer, I'm making money, mm-hmm. and then I was living in Edmonton at the time, and Edmonton was really pushing development and infill development in the downtown core a lot, so. I got that kind of got interested into that and started researching and eventually in 2017 I moved for a job to a small town in Alberta called Lloydminster, the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan and I thought you know what I'm just going to pull the trigger and do this so there were some lots available from the city I just bought one of those and I became a general contractor <laughs> Started hiring people and started building a house. I, uh, without realizing it, I took a minor variance to put a basement suite in the, <laughs> cool. in the basement. So they just told me you gotta fill this form and we'll send some letters to the neighbors. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> so yeah, I got just like that. I built a duplex and uh, started renting it. And when it come when it came to selling it in 2018, Alberta was still experiencing a downturn in mm-hmm. the real estate market. And after some sleepless nights, I was like, why don't I try to rent them out? And I was moving to Ontario at the time. And I implemented that month-to-month furnished strategy in the basement and long-term on the main floor. And I realized that I'm making, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. And I was like, damn, this is good.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our
2: sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a moment and introduce you to one of my favorite paralegals, Andrew Chubetta. With over a combined decade of experience, Caveat LLP provides legal assistance for real estate investors and entrepreneurs, primarily practicing in the areas of landlord and tenant law. Caveat LLP is your one-stop shop when dealing with all of your tenant issues. Give them a call for a free consultation at 289-339-1311. That is Caveat LLP. Andrew Trubetta has been instrumental in helping me as a landlord and as a real estate investor, and I'm sure he can help you as well. Again, that's 289-339-1311. And now back to the show.
1: And now back to the show.
0: I so you were this.
2: furnishing it and you were renting it furnished like a, as a midterm rental to, mid-term, to who exactly? Yeah.
0: So like, Lloydminster was it's an oil town. So there was a lot of people who come to, to town to work on contract basis and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So they were usually those. Right now, it's a company that's renting it, and then their staff stay there uh, as they come to come to town mm-hmm. to, to visit. So I know you're doing that as well. So I, I, I love that. I love
2: the strategy. I mean, I'm a little worried that it might be saturated in some markets at some point, but I, I think it's a great strategy to have more control.
0: Exactly. And though even the condo in twenty sixteen, I think maybe for condos like that they don't cash flow, that could be a good strategy and the demographic of the people who are renting it, there are actually a lot of new immigrants. Mm. They're just arriving and they need something that's nice and furnished and but they don't want to commit to, you know, a long term. They also don't want to pay the high price of like Airbnb on a nightly basis. So was a perfect fit I had some people who were transitioning between houses and they need a place to stay for a month or two a little bit more work not not as much work as Airbnb but a little bit more work than a long-term rental but yeah how so did you, that's,
2: sorry just let me just ask you a yeah. question about that because uh, like obviously it's interesting that you've got businesses and I think that that's also a good way to get in how did yeah. you find the businesses that were interested in putting their employees in it? I
0: didn't actually specifically look for it. It just happened. Mm-hmm. I, I was advertising. And maybe one reason is I was asking for kind of top dollar. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and also the basement, because I built it myself. And that's another thing that like when we talk about development, one of the reasons I like it is that you can actually bring your own ideas. And I feel that because I had dealt with tenants pretty much all my life, I knew exactly what tenants would look for. So the basement suite, I made it like nine foot ceiling, large windows, soundproofing, like I put the entrance kind of to the side so they don't have to see the guys on the main floor. So I think all that made it pretty attractive. And mm-hmm. these guys specifically said they like this unit because it's kind of higher end, uh, because the, the owner of the company said he might want to stay there when he visits, you know, the work site. So he wanted somewhere that's like nicer. So I think that's what attracted them. They also wanted to provide a nice and safe place for their employees to stay, so I think that's what attracted them, kind of like an executive mm-hmm. suite.
2: Very cool. Okay, so then, so then, you, what happened afterwards? What did you go to after after that? Yeah, deal?
0: so I I realized that hey, this build to own and rent, like building purpose built rentals, this seems like a great strategy. And so when I moved to Ontario, I was like, hey, I'm just going to keep doing this. If I own a couple of these, I can basically you know, not worry about my future. So I started looking at potentially buying land to do the same thing. And then after spending like six months to a year, I realized numbers don't work in Ontario. If you're just buying a land that's entitled, that's zoned for it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out how other people are doing it. And I stumbled upon this keep and sever strategy where you buy a piece of property and you sever off the extra piece of land, depending on where the house is located. So you're not losing the value of the structure that's on the land, but you just keep that and you sever off a piece of land. And then now you have a land that's much cheaper. And that's the only way to make the numbers work. So I started doing that, which actually is still ongoing. In That's one of the... (laughs) Difficult cities to, to work with, and they have had a big turnover in their planning department. Speaking of risks in land development. Uh, and then from there, kind of, I got into like learning more and more about land development, took some courses, and talked to some other people who do land development, and realized that that's a great strategy. You can do severance, you can do subdivisions, you can do land assembly and rezoning, which I'm doing now and uh, yeah lots of different strategies and there are less competitions in land development as well Mm
2: -hmm. okay so let's let's break down like one of your last deals for example like what what's your last deal that you purchased
0: so the that's the one in calgary in the southwest part of calgary near chinook mall for those who are familiar with calgary we came across a listing of two houses Mm -hmm. and uh, it looked like we could build an apartment building on that so Met with some partners that I knew from another group, and uh, we started looking at that. And then we realized, oh, there are like two other houses there that we can look at, and we will have half of the block. Mm-hmm. So started digging and finding the owners. and We engaged our realtor initially to hunt down the owners of those properties, and we just saw an opportunity that across the street there were a bunch of high rise buildings, and the other side was in was a park. And south of us was a condo, was like a mid-rise condo. And we're like, this, is, this seems like a great opportunity. Long story short, we, we had a, a pretty long and <laughs> difficult negotiation with those owners. But we managed to get all four lots on the contract. Right now, we have closed three of them. And the fourth one, we actually managed to negotiate a one-year closing with four months conditional. Uh, in exchange for a higher purchase price, but that was offset with not having to pay interest for a year. Mm-hmm. So we got that under contract and we are talking to the city of Calgary right now. We're just getting ready for our pre-application meeting and we are going to rezone this assembly of lots to increase the density, which would allow for a 24-story apartment building. Could be a condo, could be an apartment. And our strategy is to just get the entitlement or the rezoning and then flip that to a larger developer or builder who wants to build high rises. And for those who are familiar with Calgary, there's a lot of demand for condos and rental apartments right now. So that's what we are basically aiming for.
2: So you're getting the site ready, essentially, for somebody to be able to take it over. You're getting all the permits, the city approvals and everything like that, which could take a year could take two years. Like, I mean, it takes a while. Yeah. So you're waiting throughout yeah, the whole thing. You're negotiating it. You're getting it ready for exactly. essentially a builder.
0: Yeah, we're getting it almost shoveled ready. It won't be shoveled because you're not going to design the building yet, get the building permit. Right. But yeah, assembling the lots together, I would say that was the biggest hurdle. And there have been people who have tried to assemble these lots, but they couldn't get all the owners to sell at the same time. So we have already created value by assembling these lots together and we're adding more value by increasing the density allowed on these, or the number of units that the developer can build. So we're basically taking away the risk from whoever going to build it. They basically just have to design the building, get the building permit and, and go on and build it.
2: So how long was that process from the time that you identified, like, this is the area negotiating it, and then once you get it under sure. contract, like, walk us through what that timeline looks like.
0: Yeah, so it was about, I would say about four and a half months, five months to get everything done and ready under contract. Again, so the, the, the negotiations
2: block... with the four homeowners was about four months? Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, exactly. So the first, the first two were being sold. They were on market. So we got those under contract and the closing was about three months. The fourth one took about, sorry, the third one took about like a month of negotiating. It wasn't too bad. But the last one took a little bit longer. The, again, the guy was asking for a lot of money because he knew what we are going to do. Mm. Again, from the previous guys that had approached them, they knew that uh, this site can potentially be a high-rise building. So he was asking for a lot more. Like We were thinking there the value was about 750 and he was asking for a million. And so finding a middle ground there was a little bit difficult. We tried different things, vendor take back or mm-hmm. some other strategies, but we ended up with the long closing and that's something that the guy agreed to. So that was a tough negotiation. And even the paperwork, after we agreed on the terms, he was picking word out of the contract. So that mm. took another month and a half before right. he finally signed on it. <laughs> so... Okay. And then we could start the, the the planning process, as we call it, or the rezoning process.
2: So, so essentially, so from the time that you negotiate, when did you when do you close?
0: So yeah, that was from from, from the initial offer to closing. The first two was about three and a half months.
2: Okay, we so you closed, like so you closed on them. So you didn't just negotiate them under contract. You negotiated them and then closed in the four months.
0: Yeah, we closed the first three because they didn't agree to anything else. Yeah, but we had it on conditional. we had the first two conditional, we got the third one under contract before we we go firm on the first two. Got it. And then we knew with the three, we can already do something. And the fourth one was a cherry on top.
2: Perfect. So, okay, so that's good. So then when you closed, then what's the timeline and and what are the steps at that point in time? Just because this is very new for many people, Right. right? This whole development piece.
0: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So the next step after that was to prepare a pre-application for City of Calgary. So pre-application is basically engagement with, with the city planning department to bring your idea in front of them and they'll give you some feedback on certain studies you might have to do. We think they will probably ask for traffic study and shadow study, at least. We also had to do environmental phase one for all the sites. That was part of our conditions to to go firm on these properties. And so once we have all those ready, we sit in front of the city of Calgary, We, we engaged our planning consultants to prepare the application. So after we have the pre-application meeting, we'll get the feedback and then we'll go on to do all the studies that they ask us and prepare the, the site plan or the proposed site plan and all the planning justifications that the consultants will prepare. We'll have to engage with the community. So we'll have to set up a website and put signs around the property and get feedback from the neighborhood. And then from there, we'll go to a hearing to the council in the area. And hopefully, if we don't get too much pushback from the neighborhood and the council is on board, it will be approved and We are projecting about eight to ten months for this phase to get the rezoning done and then for us again, at that point, we're just gonna list it on the market and try to sell it. We may consider partnering uh with the builder or developer, mm-hmm. but we'll have to see at the time, and it depends on our investors as well because we're using the gplp structure so we have a mandate to return the capital to to our lp investors
2: okay so your project so you're in it right now like you're you're it's not completed but you're like essentially working with yeah. with the city yeah we're just uh, waiting
0: for the pre-application meeting
2: got it okay So you're estimating eight to 10 months again, like, you know, unfortunately this, this is out of our control, this part, it could be two (laughs) years, it could be three years. What are some of the big costs involved in doing something like that? Like, what are the fees? What are the costs that somebody should be aware of?
0: Yeah. So, well, besides the purchase price, obviously, depending on the structure you're using, okay, I'll leave the financing aside, but the development itself, the studies are usually the, some of the major costs in the beginning. So depending on how much studies the city asks you to do, that could range from like each study, you know, it depends on the scale five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand. The environmental assessment that's an essential step. Typically, that's part of the due diligence that you have to do. So that again, depending on the size of the property, could range from thirty five hundred to to ten thousand dollar. That's for phase one. If you have to do phase two. Which basically means they uh, they suspect there is something there that they need to do actual testing. That for initial tests uh, could range from ten 000 to fifteen thousand per lot, and if you need to do more, what we call delineation to determine the extent of contamination, that's really hard to predict. That could be seven to eight thousand per hole they have to drill. That's uh, I would say that one of the the major costs, uh, and then consultants, planning consultants. That's probably Depending on, again, on the size of the project could be somewhere from 30 to 50,000, uh, Mm -hmm. for the planning consultants. Development fees, depending on which city you are. If you're in Toronto, that's a major, major cost. Alberta is not that bad. The development charges are not that crazy. If you're severing a lot or creating new lots, there's a parkland fee that you have to pay. Uh, so, again, depending on the city, that, that could range somewhere from 5 to 10%, and they will determine that's based on the value of the property. So those are just yeah. some of the cost items. And then there's like the legal fees to to set up your structure and whatnot. That it's not specific to land development, but that's something to be aware of as well. We were shocked right. when we got our <laughs> closing fees because we were using a GPLP structure.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
2: Hey, are you looking for a reliable contractor for your next multi multifamily conversion or flip project? Somebody who understands how to work with investors and also real estate investing itself. I've personally partnered with Lee Polak from Wise Construction. We're actively doing many projects together in Hamilton and Welland. So things like smaller three and four unit conversions and also some larger buildings where we're converting some large empty commercial spaces into residential units. And it's always been important to meet a partner and hire a contractor who does not only high quality work, but is on time and on budget. And it's also a huge bonus that they have their own in-house trades, employees and a warehouse full of building materials so that they can avoid the many labor and material shortages that we hear about often these days. A good project done on time, on budget and with high quality work will be key to the success of your Burr multifamily conversion or flip projects. So to connect with Lee from Wise Construction, text or phone him at 416-525-5951. Again, that is 416-525-5951. And now back to the show.
0: And now back to the show.
2: So so how much are you going to be in from a non-purchase, you know, price? Like how much cash did you budget to be able to do all these things you just listed there?
0: Right. I I don't have it right in front of me but i think we budgeted somewhere around i think it was hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars that we budgeted for the development activities mm-hmm. yeah that yeah. doesn't include development fees
2: which can be costly so 155 plus the development fees and you know what are you estimating to be able to essentially exit for where somebody's going to say this is interesting on a pay yeah. x like what, what's that look like what's the arv on something like this
0: so our total purchase price is $3.4 million for all the four properties. Based on, this requires a little bit of side note, based on FAR of five, which is floor area ratio, which is multiplier based on the size of the lot. So if you have 1,000 square feet and your multiplier is five, your FAR of five, you're allowed to build 5,000 square feet of, of a building. So based on FAR of five, we have a appraisal from CBRE for $5 million. So there's a nice spread there but we're actually pushing that FAR to 8 right so that's what we're starting the negotiation with the city so we expect that we will probably land somewhere in between 5 and 8 but at FAR of 5 you're projecting 5 million as market value
2: Okay and how how do you project that do you have like for example Somebody like Colliers to do an as-is and as-complete appraisal, or are you kind of working through this with yeah. your numbers. Like, like walk us through what how to determine the end result and the end value.
0: Absolutely, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. We use CBA appraisal mm-hmm. as well as an as if site plan approved or as if approved appraisal. So we got both. So then that gave us a good indication. Our how much we are paying if you sometimes in development you kind of have to pay a premium to the owners because they know what you're going to do there Mm -hmm. so we kind of built that into the prices but based on our appraisals the first three properties we paid market value for them but then once they're assembled there's already added value so the appraisals were based on individual properties and then we did a as if zoning approved for far of five and Again, the commercial appraisals can uh, can do that for you. So that's another cost item during the due diligence,
2: and probably something you want to do before you go firm on anything, right? Absolutely. Because, because that may make or break your entire deal, depending on what they come back saying. You absolutely. Be yeah. Again. So keep <laughs> so that as a condition uh, clause in there before going firm.
0: Exactly. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that was actually part of our due diligence. So maybe I can plug in like some of the key due diligence mm-hmm, items sure. there. Obviously the the ARV, just like any other you know, project investments that we're doing, the, the after, I guess you can, it's not a repair value, but as if complete value mm-hmm. and the existing value, you wanna make sure you're not over paying for the property. In development, environmental site assessment or ESA, phase one, absolutely necessary. Um, and then basically appetite from the city for development. So one of the things we did, we contacted the counselor for the area, which happened to be the head of the planning department in the city of Calgary. And we had a meeting with him and we ran this by him to see what the city's appetite is, which we got a really positive response. So that was kind of one of the things that kind of firmed, it in, firmed the idea in our mind that we are doing the right thing. So ESA, right from the city, the appraisal are some of the, the key components of the due diligence. You also want to check to make sure there is no like geotechnical stuff. We did a consultation mm-hmm. with a geotechnical engineer. We're not doing it full geotechnical, but someone who is familiar with the area and can tell you that, hey, like this area is known for this and that, or you have lots of rock or you have the, or the soil is too soft. So you will have issue when you go to build it. Um, the other thing in Calgary, especially important is floodplain. That was one of the first things that we checked to make sure we are not in the floodplain because that could cause some some issues when it comes to the design of the building for us it will affect the value of the product that we are going to sell at the end of the day
2: mhm mhm yeah definitely a good good summary of of some of the due diligence items and i'm sure there's there's many more and uh, and due diligence on something there's like this lot. is not you know, five days, like residential, like it, it's usually week, yeah. weeks to be able to do the due diligence. Exactly. I mean, the appraisal alone can take six, six weeks, could take eight weeks, you know what I mean? Four so weeks, how long did you yeah. four, did you ask weeks, for, yeah. for your due diligence? How long was your due diligence period on this, this deal as an example? I
0: think on the first two, we had on the first two, we had four weeks, we ended up extending it to six weeks, we had to make some concessions, like put extra down payment or whatever mm-hmm. to get that. Two extra weeks, yeah. But exactly to your point, these things take take longer. There's a commercial uh, appraisal. I think was five weeks. Maybe a maybe a trick here. I we negotiated this with the appraiser that we get the summary report first for for mm-hmm. half the price, and then if you wanted the full report, that would be the five weeks, and we would pay the other fifty percent. And I learned that from another actually in Calgary, that I mm-hmm. had and and. The, the ESA actually came back not being clean and we couldn't get the extension from the sellers. So we had to pull the plug on it. And I had negotiated the first part to get the, the summary report, which basically just gives you the numbers, but it won't give you all the details. And basically I ended up telling the, the appraiser that, hey, I don't need the report. Like you pull the plug so can we work out the deal? And I was like, okay, well, we'll charge you half. And then on the next one, I came back to, you know, like, can we do the same here? <laughs> It's quicker and it's awesome. cheaper. If you end up pulling the plug, you're saving yourself a little bit of money.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, great tip right there. You probably saved somebody a couple grand. Because these, so yeah. how much was your, because I mean, we did one, it was like seven grand to do an appraisal, right? On, on the building, a building oh, that yeah. we, we bought, you know, and um, I get it. like it, it varies so much, but how much was like, that was of yeah. yours that we did it.
0: Yeah, we did it with CBRE and it was 4,500. Yeah, I probably got a little bit of discount because of the returning customer, but I think it would be like five thousand if there was no discount there. And then I think we negotiated again like half or fifty percent for the summary report, which would basically just give us the numbers. It also one thing to remember is like depending on the scenarios in the development, you can ask the appraiser to do multiple scenarios. Like we did include FAR of five, FAR of three point six, just so that we have an idea of what the value would be if we end up hitting different results or basically the buildable
2: square foot. Very cool. So, I mean, you you provided tons of great insights. What's, like, what's your next goal? Like, what are you looking at doing in the next, you know, year or two?
0: Yeah, doing, I'm starting to really like this land assembly and rezoning and flipping it to a larger builder developer. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at more opportunities in, you know, in Edmonton and also Hamilton area. I'm mostly focusing on inner city or transit oriented developments. We all know there's lots of lots of demand for rentals. There's shortage of housing, so focusing on those areas that there's there's demand. And I do want to build these rentals. I do have a project with a partner in Saint John, New Brunswick, and we are actually going through the rezoning as well right now, and we're planning to build one or two extra apartment buildings on their property that already has a six flex. So kind of doing more of those. But my ultimate goal, I don't know if it's going to be in a year or maybe in three years, is to build a net zero apartment. Yeah. I'm, I'm very passionate about energy efficiency and sustainability. And net zero apartment buildings, they're, they've been theory before. I think there's there are a few examples being built right now. And that's net zero energy. Basically, the building is producing the same amount of energy that it consumes in a year. So that that would be my next ultimate goal.
2: I mean it's a good goal. And then, you know, just from an ROI standpoint, I think you could also use that to exit with the MLI. CMHC program that they came up with, right. Based on the points and that kind of stuff. So it allows you to get a better, better loan to value lower rates, much higher potential amortization as well. And and probably a lot of tenants are going to like that stuff too. So they'll pay a premium for it. You know, it's, you know, it's now I think more viable because of the MLI select program to do and build uh, like that. Yeah. energy awesome.
0: efficient buildings. Yeah. I've been, I've been, yeah, no, that's absolutely MLI Select. I'm just going to say this quickly. I was so glad when they announced that because we didn't have a, per se, green mortgage in Canada. Mm-hmm. And this MLI Select program, I think is the first green mortgage. And again, I, I started Equalux Developments in 2017, and that was my goal to build more energy efficient homes. And I haven't built as uh, many as I would have loved to, but that's the goal and I'm really glad to see that eventually government has come up with something that encourages more sustainable developments.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think it's perfect yet. Like, There's still some tweaking I think the program needs. For sure. I mean, especially when it comes to, in my opinion anyways, the, the rents because there's a rent portion, right? So if you have a certain number yeah. of units that are like, you know, below whatever the market rent is. But the issue with that is then your DCRs don't work. So your loan that you'd yeah. actually get from the bank doesn't always match up. So you really have to, That's like right. for these types of things, really just have to work with a really good mortgage broker that understands because it may not make sense to, for you to get the entire amount of points if that means that yeah. you've got to go through and reduce some of the rents and some of the units to get the points.
0: That's right. Yeah. The great thing about MLI Select is you can qualify on energy efficiency alone and greenhouse gas emissions. So if you're 40% improvement to the national building code, which in some provinces is not too hard to achieve, like Ontario building code is already above and beyond national code, so is BC. So that's one way to get around that, especially in markets like Ontario, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you cannot afford discounted rent or right. being in the affordability market. Mm-hmm. So that really encourages energy efficiency. And there's also accessibility, but accessibility alone will not qualify you. But energy yeah. efficiency with the, with the science that exists right now, there's been a lot of research, and actually in Canadian companies and Canadian research institutes have been the pioneers in in building energy efficiency and building science. So mm-hmm. the knowledge is out there. Builders still have to catch up with all those stuff. Yeah, But there are lots of great things happening. And actually in Alberta, there's been a lot of, a lot of great news coming out of Alberta in terms of energy efficiency. Obviously, because of the cold climate, it makes a lot more sense to build more energy efficient out there.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then the only last thing I would just say about that is just hire a company that's been like helping others get through using the MLI select from CMHC and they'll help mm-hmm. you with like what you need to actually do from an energy efficiency standpoint and so forth. So there's actually people to hire for this that exactly. have brought buildings through and then just use somebody with, you know, prior experience. It's still a new program. So there's not that many that, is, that yeah. have done it, but it's better to pay, you know, somebody to like actually, you know, ensure that you're going to meet all the deadlines and the, the you know, specific thresholds
0: yeah you're absolutely right A mortgage broker that is familiar with the program and also an energy consultant that can put it all together to meet those
2: requirements exactly awesome well this is you know this is really interesting it's you know thank you so much for sharing your knowledge we'll have to bring you back and i'm sure there's lots of other things we can talk about but the next part of the podcast is the lightning round i'm going to ask you five questions (laughs) every guest gets the same five questions you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind in like less than 20 seconds each you ready Oh, okay. Pressure on. Today's lightning round has been brought to you by midtermrentalproperties.ca. It is a new way to rent, make more cash flow, take back control over our investments and our portfolios using a different creative strategy and pivoting. So if you want to find out more, go to midtermrentalproperties.ca. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book?
0: Well, I'm not going to say reach that poor dad because that's what everybody says, but just generally, seven habits of highly affected people. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorite books of all time. It applies to business, real estate, personal life, everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely great book. I think it's like one of these red ones that I have right here on my bookshelf. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> Behind me, there's a bookshelf that that's definitely a great book. Number two, not necessarily real estate specific, but you have a favorite podcast.
0: Well, besides your podcast, let's say Andrew Hines' podcast, I mm-hmm. really like that, how he really goes into the numbers. There's also Everyday Millionaire, Patrick Frenzy. Also, like just general, is not only real estate, is mostly real estate, but like business mm-hmm. and whatnot and ordinary people doing extraordinary stuff. So that's always cool. nice to hear those stories.
2: Awesome. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from work in real estate? I always
0: enjoy a nice cocktail on a rooftop bar in Toronto. Nice. (laughs) I love the rooftops, but also snowboarding in the winter and playing tennis in the summer.
2: Very cool. I got to get back into snowboarding. It's been years. I used to teach it years ago. It was my high school and university job. Oh wow! (laughs) But it's it's been years. I I do want to get back into
0: it. Snowboard real estate retreat.
2: <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think I think we should. I, I'm, I'm just so bad with the cold now. I, I hate yeah. it. Yeah, but... <laughs> let's do that. Awesome. All right. So number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, all your assets, all your money, how would you start again? I would try to
0: use my engineering and get a job at a development, like a large development company and learn development at the institutional level. Okay. And then come out and do it on my own again.
2: (laughs) All right. Very cool. And last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, it's not as much money as it used to be. How would you recommend they spend their $50,000 best?
0: I would say definitely education, real estate education and potentially coaching to figure out and then use some of whatever money is to maybe go to a smaller market and get it started there
2: okay all right great advice great insight thanks for playing the lightning round ali where can my listeners reach out and find out more
0: sure yeah alina azarian on facebook Ecolux developments on instagram i also have a facebook group called housing developers and builders of canada hdbc and we do a monthly meetup where we bring developers to speak i will hopefully have you on that at some point and uh, yeah, and also com. That's my uh, real estate investing personal website as well.
2: Very cool. Ali, thank you so much. Thanks for providing all the wonderful knowledge to my listeners. And thanks for being on the show.
0: Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. And I hope that your audience enjoys the conversation we had today.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that.